A new deal for BC doctors. $118 million in interim funding to support clinics and family doctors. A lifeline to keep family physicians in business and a promise of better pay to come. A new strategy to fold up the Hastings Street tent city. The bottom line is that we have made good progress. The backlash over a timeline some say is too slow. And Surrey's mayor drops a bombshell. We are going to build a 60,000 person um, arena. The mega project he's promising and why opponents say it's a long shot. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but first, the latest breaking details on that major fire that broke out on Mitchell Island in Richmond late this afternoon. It sent out a huge cloud of black smoke into the sky, visible from all over Metro Vancouver. Sources say the fire is burning at Allied Salvage and Metals, a recycling operation. Richmond Fire says seven units have responded to the fire, and while it is now contained, it's expected to burn for at least another couple of hours. With the wind blowing west to east, they're also recommending anyone crossing the Knight Street Bridge for the next couple of hours roll up your windows. Luckily, it appears no one was injured, and there is no word on the cause at this point. Now to that major boost family doctors and primary care clinics are getting to keep them in the game. The province and doctors of BC offering up $118 million to help physicians cover overhead costs and continue treating patients. As Richard Zussman reports, the money is a short-term solution with a long-term plan still to come. Look into your left eye now. A lifeline for an ailing healthcare system. It's an interim solution to help stop the bleeding. Our family doctors are finding it more and more difficult. On Wednesday, the province and the doctors of BC unveiling short-term funding for family doctors. $118 million available for 3,480 doctors in practice, 1,100 doctors at walk-in clinics. Each doctor will get an average of about $27,000 for four months, covering 70% of BC's family doctors. Money will start flowing October 1st, ending January 31st, 2023. This is a very significant uh, contribution that has been developed and a proposal that's developed not just by us, but uh, by us, meaning the Ministry of Health and the doctors of BC, to make things better in the short run as we do uh, what we need to do, which is fundamental change. Around the head for lymph nodes. This fundamental change means a new payment model. It will address timing issues, allowing physicians to bill for administrative service. Physicians can also bill each patient encounter, and doctors will be paid for each attached patient, an incentive for physicians with larger and more complex patients. This step in the funding is also a temporizing measure for the next four months to hold those clinics over, while we are devising this new payment model, which within it will hopefully give more options and ability for family physicians to provide the type of care that they went to medical school for. There are nearly one million British Columbians without a family doctor, the hope is this funding will decrease that number, but it will take time. We are working on a new payment model, which is to incentivize more family doctors to be able to keep them, retain them in family medicine, as well as recruiting our new physicians to family medicine. 
Right now, family doctors working at walk-in clinics or in their own practice don't get paid as much as those working in urgent primary care centers or at the hospital. The doctors of BC think this plan will change that. The BC Liberals say the government should be doing more sooner. It is a very expensive short-term band-aid that is only de dealing with one of the wounds. The patient, if I could use a metaphor, is bleeding all over and putting a Band-Aid on just one portion of the patient is not going to deal with the challenge. The new funding model set to be in place by the new year. A hope this triage can hold a struggling system until then. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Okay, Keith Baldry joins us now. And Keith, the money they say will stabilize the system, and mm. that's obviously necessary because... You have the stats about the major increase in demand for health services lately. Demand has been incredible. The increase in the demand in the last five years is absolutely phenomenal. I think it's a combination of a dramatic increase in our population on a year-to-year -year basis. Our uh, aging population, older people need health care more often than younger people. And a pent-up demand as we ease out of the pandemic. And the statistics are quite startling. Take a look at these ones. MRIs, for example, uh, from for over five years on an annual basis up 120,000. That's 69% increase. Uh, similar with CT scans up 200,000 a year, a 36% increase. Surgeries are up a little more, less, about 22,000 or 10%, and MSP billings overall on a yearly basis a half million dollars more than five years ago, a 16% increase. Adrian Dix, the health manager, pointed out MRIs are in particular up because we purchased more machines in an attempt to take on the clinics head on when it comes to offering these services. I think the example of the last few years is we've dramatically increased the number of MRIs, and why did we do that? For the very reason I think the authors of the report are talking about that. If you allow people to go outside the system and come back inside the system and get an MRI, that creates a sense of two-tier healthcare. So we've changed that. This is a radical change. We went from last in the country to um, close to the top. So another example of how busy our healthcare system is, Chris, we've got about 9,229 uh, base hospital beds in our system. Right now, as of today, uh, the number of people in, in the hospital, 9,350. So are more people in the hospital right now than there are base hospital beds. Luckily, we've got about 2,300 surge beds that are only used when we're at full capacity. But it's a very busy August in our BC healthcare system that's likely not going to change for some time yet. Sure, sounds like it. Okay, thanks a lot, Keith. The health minister uh, also today dismissing a report that seemed to show provincial government relying on for-profit clinics to carry out procedures the provincial system should be able to handle. As Aaron MacArthur reports, Adrian Dick says the report is inaccurate and off-base. Emerging from the worst of the pandemic, the B.C. government promised to catch up on tens of thousands of postponed or cancelled medical procedures. A small part of that strategy included the use of 45 private surgical clinics in the province. A new report from the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives says that every dollar spent outside the public health care system has lasting consequences for the efficiency of the public system. This sector continues to pull the limited specialized health care workers we have in the province out of our public hospitals. The report from researcher Andrew Longhurst shows that spending in private surgical centers was nearly $400 million over the last six years. Payments of taxpayer money to for-profit health operators increased from $47.9 million in 2015-16 to more than $75 million last year. What we need to be seeing is a phased, thoughtful approach going forward to increase our public sector capacity for surgeries and diagnostic imaging. The CCPA paper also found concerning inconsistencies. 
despite government audits showing at least two facilities engaged in illegal extra billing for medically necessary procedures, the False Creek Health Center was still awarded $12 million in contracts. And the Kamloops Surgical Center saw revenues of $15 million, figures the health minister disputes. There's a discussion of False Creek Surgical Center. People forget that we cancelled their contract because they wouldn't follow the law. And then they were sold, they came back into compliance, and their contract was renewed. According to the government, only one in every 25 surgeries is done outside the public sector. And as the report lays out, spending on private imaging like MRIs has fallen year over year as BC has expanded capacity. The government recently purchasing two private clinics on Vancouver Island. The number of procedures done and the money spent outside the public system is anticipated to go down. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The demand for childcare and early education is far outstripping the supply of qualified educators. A Powell River daycare operator is the perfect example. For months, an immigration backlog has left her critically short of the staff she needs. And as Kylie Stanton shows us, it has trickle-down consequences for the rest of her community. Shine and they shine and Like they shine parenting, the job is as rewarding as it is difficult. But it turns out finding people to do it is even harder. I have 28 licensed childcare spots that are currently empty due to no licensed early childhood educators. Childcare provider Marjorie Jones calls the situation in Powell River critical. Healthcare professionals and first responders are being forced to reduce hours or stop working altogether because there's simply no care available. I can't let this community struggle like this. With no Canadian applicants, Jones decided to look internationally. Of the 300 people that applied, 100 were fully qualified. And back in March, five were approved by immigration. Right now, we need the work permits issued. The Honourable Sean Fraser. In Vancouver, the Federal Minister of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship promising to dramatically improve the situation by the end of the year. Immigration backlogs are a very real challenge. A hiring spree of 1,250 new people is expected to help speed things up. There will also be new measures in place for applicants. We'll be able to do a targeted draw during the express entry system that meets local labour demands in the communities where they're most needed. Current projections show the child care sector will need an additional 12,000 early childhood educators over the next 10 years in order to achieve the target set out in BC's child care plan. Baby kisses. But Emily Golick with the Early Childhood Educators of BC says that number continues to climb forcing families from all walks of life to get creative, hers included. I'm coming over to Nanaimo every week for two days a week as I share childcare duties with the other grandma. You want this? We've been in a crisis for generations, but the pandemic has really highlighted how critical the shortage of qualified educators is. While there is no silver bullet to solve the problem, immigration certainly plays a role. And in Powell River, Jones says it's currently the only hope. Please issue my work permits. Tomorrow wouldn't be soon enough. Kylie Stanton, Global News. And the federal government is promising to make it easier for new immigrants and refugees to enter the country. Immigration Minister Sean Fraser is in Vancouver today to talk about a new website they're launching to help reduce the application backlog and address those labor shortages. The feds will hire more than 1,200 people to help process applications. 
The backlog at Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada has more than tripled during the pandemic. There's almost 900,000 jobs available in the Canadian economy. And knowing that our labour force growth has disproportionately come from immigration in recent years, we have no choice but to embrace immigration as a growth strategy if we want to make the most of the economic recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. In the next 10 years in British Columbia alone, the over 100,000 job openings that will go unfilled without immigration. Uh, and so to make sure that we're selecting folks who can meet those needs and that employers can recognize how they fit into the labor market is going to be critical to our success. By the end of July, more than half of the 2.4 million applications had taken longer than the service standard of six months. The goal of this initiative is to have 80% processed within that time frame going forward. Well, it's been two weeks since the city began clearing the tent city from Hastings Street and a month since the fire chief gave the order that it was a danger and needs to go. The mayor updated the situation today and it's clear there's no quick fix. Grace Key reports. 2,000 kilograms every day. That's how much material Vancouver engineers are removing from East Hastings Street since work began two weeks ago. Wednesday morning, the city provided an update saying progress is being made. The bottom line is that we have made good progress in terms of uh, moving people indoors, reducing fire risk, and clearing garbage and refuse from Hastings Street. Seven out of ten risk areas have been cleared of combustibles with exits and fire connections once again accessible. This after the fire chief gave an order last month for the removal of structures in the area. There are about four fires a day in the downtown east side. There are individuals that may need to be moved along. There are a lot of other individuals that are in the process of packing up. This order is not for the fire chief's order on evacuating individuals. It's removing the structures and the tents and the combustible materials from against and near the buildings. Just how many people are here is unclear. As some are leaving, others are setting up camp, with everyone acknowledging there is little housing available. We have 20 new shelter spaces that have recently opened. We have a little over 50 indoor spaces that have either opened or will be opening very shortly before the end of this week, including SRO rooms and some leased hotel spaces. For those living on the streets, the city says it's continuing its outreach program, food services, storage and washroom access, security and sanitation services. A small group gathered outside City Hall saying tents are simply being shifted from one block to another. I used to stay in an SRO but I'd rather stay outside than be in the SRO. Yeah, but I wouldn't let my dog live in there, so. I want those folks to know that we're doing everything we can to restore your sense of belonging and dignity. No deadline has been given for the removal of structures. The city saying they continuously reassess the situation. Grace Key, Global News. More than a dozen groups say they're caught in the crosshairs of the BCGEU strike, and enough is enough. They've penned an open letter to the union and the Premier, John Horgan, asking the two sides to find a resolution. As Amada Gahi reports, after two years of pandemic restrictions, the businesses say they can't afford to take another hit. Once these uh, run out and is limited that we have in backup, um, that'll be it. And then we'll have to try to convince our customers to 
switch to something else. One last weekend. That's how long the owner of the junction on Vancouver's Davie Street says they have enough hard liquor for. It's difficult to understand why the BCGUE took a wrecking ball to this industry. The B.C. General Employees Union has been on strike for more than one week now. The picket lines targeting four government liquor distribution centers, causing widespread alcohol shortages for a myriad of industries, meaning there is no product coming to nightclubs, restaurants, events, in hospitality and tourism, just to name a few. We saw it almost from day one. This is getting insane and it needs to stop now. In an open letter sent to both parties at odds, the first-of-its-kind alliance of 19 industry associations and stakeholders is urging the union and government to find a resolution quickly, adding the strike has caused severe impacts on their revenue and warning that the disruption, if continued, will lead to cancelled events such as concerts, weddings, a loss of consumer confidence and damage to BC's tourism reputation. The BCGU certainly has the right to strike. They do not have the right to disrupt a $15 billion industry of 10,000 small businesses and 200,000 workers. The industry's refusing to be used as a pawn in a labor dispute between the BCGEU and its employer. We had to lay off staff two, three, four times during the pandemic as we opened and closed and opened with different public health protocols. Fairly certain not a single BCGEU worker had that experience. So you can understand the frustration of industry. When asked, the BC Labour Minister expressed sympathy, while the union declined comment due to a media blackout. The last thing you want to tell staff is, we have to lay you off again. And I really hope that that does not come to that, and that the BCGU will understand that, that that's what the impact that they're going to have. Both sides are back at the bargaining table, but with that blackout in place, it's difficult to know how well the talks are going. Emadagahi, Global News. A photo op took an unexpected turn in Surrey today. Two, three, the mayor was there to break ground on a new sports complex when he surprised everyone with a promise to build a 60,000-seat stadium. What his opponents say about it next on the News Hour. Just ahead, a battle over one of Whistler's best attractions, why some residents want the River of Golden Dreams all to themselves. And one of the most unique listings on Airbnb, where you can spend a night aboard Theodore the Tugboat later. Right now, though, Surrey City Council is breaking ground today on the new Cloverdale Sport and Ice Complex. And while you might think that that on-again, off-again project would be the center of attention, Mayor Doug McCallum stole the thunder with a surprise promise. And our Janet Brown joins us now with more Janet. Mayor McCallum promising a major multi-use stadium to rival BC Place if re-elected. Good evening, Chris. That's right. The mayor dropping a real bombshell on the city, on reporters today, announcing that if indeed he is re-elected in October as mayor of the city, that he will indeed build a 60,000-seat multi-purpose arena. He says it is badly needed in the Surrey, he, uh, in the city of Surrey. He would like to see multiple sports played in there, including ice hockey. I asked him where in the city he would like to see this built. He says he's actually scouted 
started out two or three locations already, and the public will have the details, he says, in the coming weeks. He also says that the city badly lacks a facility for cultural events as well. Now, on the other side of the equation, Brenda Locke is a city councillor in Surrey. She's also running for mayor. She says this announcement today was a big surprise to her, and she's not at all impressed. One of our um, commitments that we're going to say um, as part of our campaign, the Safe Surrey Coalition, is we are going to build a 60,000-person um, arena in Surrey. Um, and it'll be a multi-use arena um, for all sports. And so uh, we envision um, the city is a very big city. We'll be bigger than Vancouver in four or five years. We need a sports stadium. He talked about a stadium that was going to be for the BC Lions and the Canucks, and I don't know how that would ever work or where that will be. Um, certainly, Surrey needs the infrastructure. But the kind of dollars that are attached to those kind of projects are extraordinary and without having commitment from the province and the federal government, it's just talking, it's just talk, it's not anything substantive. Now, Chris, by comparison, BC Play Stadium in Vancouver seats 54,500, according to their website. And we know quite often that stadium is not full when there is soccer and football games in there. The team's gather roughly 20,000 or so fans to each game. So I guess time will really tell whether a similar size stadium will ever be built in the city of Surrey. Back to you. I know where my bet's going to be, but thanks very much for that report. That's Janet Brown in Surrey for us tonight. Okay, still to come, a community on edge with the release of a chronic offender. Why Kelowna's mayor says it's time our justice system stepped up. And the Canadian military outfit that flew in to help the search for those missing wolves. Steady in both directions over here tonight at the Patello Bridge, which is a bit of volume southbound down McBride through the Queen's Park stretch and on the Columbia on-ramp out of New West. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $13 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. The mayor of Kelowna is speaking out about a rare public warning from the city's RCMP, a prolific and dangerous offender who appears to be the poster child for a broken justice system with hundreds of run-ins with police. As Ramina Dea reports, the mayor is wondering what has happened to the government's promise to take action. 45-year-old Justin Wayne Collins has an astounding criminal resume. 421 police files, 64 charges. I'm concerned. I'm frustrated as a, as a police officer. I'm frustrated as a citizen. Frustrated because Collins continues to reoffend. The community at risk, which is what triggered the public warning, say Kelowna RCMP. Violent assault, robbery, theft, breach of probation, etc. The prolific offender has been arrested and released again by the court on conditions. He doesn't have any regards for other people's safety. He's, his concerns are not your, the public's safety or, or anybody else's safety. He has no regards for the conditions placed on him by courts or police. How does somebody with uh, the criminal history that they do, uh, posing the danger to our residents that they do, uh, just be released back onto our streets? Uh, this is incredibly frustrating. 
Kelowna's mayor, one of several across the province, fed up with repeat offenders victimizing their communities, pleading for help in a letter to the former Attorney General David Eby. The Urban Mayor's Caucus released disturbing statistics in April. Ten cities, just 200-plus chronic offenders, involved in over 11,600 police incidents in the last year alone. For the second time this week, the new Attorney General, Marie Rankin, was unavailable for an interview. His schedule fully booked, we're told. A ministry spokesperson told us the prolific offender review is still underway. Recommendations will be released in early fall. Here we are eagerly uh, awaiting those recommendations, but I can tell you frustration is waning in all of our communities. Enough is enough. We need those recommendations and we need them now. The government is considering increasing resources for Crown Council and mandating treatment for offenders, like Collins, who is refusing to participate, say police. Romina Dea, Global News. Turns out the search for the Greater Vancouver Zoo's missing wolves was a lot more high-tech than you might have thought. That's because CFB Esquimalt actually helped look for them using drones with infrared cameras to track the wolves' heat signatures. The naval base, which actually owns property right beside the zoo, posted this video to Twitter, although they didn't mention if they actually located any of the wolves. Langley RCMP continued to investigate the vandalism, which led to nine wolves escaping their enclosure. One of the animals was later found dead on a nearby roadside. Just ahead, one unsatisfied customer. I think it's pretty bad on their part. They should have security. A customer's car hit by thieves while it was at the dealership. Wait till you see the response from the dealer. Plus, six months into the Russian invasion, why Ukraine's resolve is stronger than ever. It's busy but steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Ridge tonight with just a little bit of leftover volume along the east-west connector through Richmond. Steer into summer is on now. Take on the season like a pro with a powerful new 2022 Sierra 1500. Visit your local Vancouver GMC dealer to reserve yours today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Ridge. For more than three decades, August 24th has been celebrated as a turning point for Ukraine breaking free from a Soviet stronghold and able to wave its yellow and blue flag freely. But in the last six months, that independence is in jeopardy, with Russia on the warpath to reclaim Ukraine as its own. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more. The silence is both deafening and reflective. The winds across Ukraine six months into this war carry the memories of those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. Ukrainian independence is celebrated on August 24th and facing the ultimate test. A Russian attempt to glue together the former Soviet empire. Moscow assumed this would be an easy win, and they were wrong. What for us is the end of war? We used to say peace, says Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky. Now we say victory. In the shadow of a giant formed a wall of resistance. NATO grew stronger, Ukrainian allies more fearless. We can never match the sacrifices you are making every day, but we can and we will stand by your side. No force on earth can overcome the patriotism of 44 million Ukrainians. But Ukraine's persistence has been met with grave consequences. 
indiscriminate shelling has targeted civilians. The UN reporting at least 5,500 have died. War crimes investigations are underway, and on Wednesday, after fears an attack was imminent, a deadly strike on a train station. Virtually all corners of Ukraine are affected, and no one is out of reach of missile strikes. While this is a day meant to mark independence, Ukraine still finds itself dependent on the West to help prop up its defenses. The U.S. committing another $3 billion in aid on Wednesday. Ukraine's president thanking the U.S. president, saying the two countries are fighting for the same values. There is not a country on earth that hasn't felt the impact of this war, but none more so than Ukraine a country watching its history be erased, but refusing to allow its future to fall into someone else's hands. Reggie Chikini, Global News. If you are taking your vehicle in for servicing, consider this. An Ontario woman took her car to a dealer where a valuable part was stolen while it was there. Now, you might expect the dealership to take some responsibility, but as Sean O'Shea explains, that is not what happened. Did you do anything wrong? No, I didn't do anything wrong, but now it's going to cost me. Diane Reed's Hyundai is missing something required on every Canadian vehicle, something stolen while in the care of the Orangeville Hyundai dealership owned by Phil Richards. It's out of our control. We don't control theft. Leaving Reed's family out on their own. She only has herself to blame for that. The vehicle needed a new alternator, was towed in because it wouldn't run. And while waiting for that part over the weekend at the dealership, the vehicle's catalytic converter was stolen. Unfortunately, your Bear Cruz was targeted. The phone message from the dealership pointed out it's not the first time they've been hit. We've seen this about five months ago. We had, a, unfortunately, about three taken as well. Catalytic converters are a hot commodity. Stolen for the high value of their precious metals. Diane's daughter, Jamie Lee, says the repair will be expensive. They said it would be around $2,000 before installation. That's a lot of money for an item that was not necessary. Absolutely. She and her mom were told it's their responsibility to pay for the replacement. It's pretty hard to stop a thief that wants to steal something. I don't might care what you do. The Hyundai dealership has no gates or barriers, even though its customers' cars have been hit before. What about security video? No, there's no security video. I think it's pretty bad on their part. They should have security so that you can watch, make sure that the cars aren't broken into. Her daughter agreed and told the owner in person. He told me to get out. And the police were called eventually. They were. Richard says he did call police. Did she threaten anybody? Her, her behavior, she was aggressive and she did, she did threaten a lawyer. Since when is mentioning a lawyer a threat? Jamie Lee posted her experience on Facebook, warning others they might not want to take vehicles here. It was her demeanor. Is everything on that Facebook post correct? Absolutely correct. Your company's not going to do anything to pay for the cost of what happened to her mom's vehicle in your care. That's that correct. correct, based on her on her behavior and how she went about it. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Orangeville, Ontario. Healthcare workers at BC Children's Hospital got a much-needed puppy break today. The BC Children's Hospital Foundation has paired up with PetSmart Charities to create a pet therapy program. It helps staff cope with the stress and anxiety of their jobs. Hospital staff are able to visit with the therapy dogs during their breaks. They report feeling calmer and better equipped to deal with the challenges of their jobs after those canine visits. Should get one for the newsroom. Coming up, too much traffic where no one wants it. We're seeing a, a almost doubling of the number of visitors that are enjoying the river. 
why Whistler's River of Golden Dreams might be losing some of its luster. And coming up in sports, behind every great goaltender is a great coach. And for the Whitecaps, keeping a clean sheet is a group effort. The Regional District of Okanagan Similkameen announced today all remaining evacuation alerts for the Karameas Creek wildfire have been lifted. 20 properties along Green Mountain Road and the northern end of Marin Valley were on evacuation alert since last week when the final few residents on evacuation order were given the green light to go home. The Karameas Creek wildfire is still considered a wildfire of note at just over 7,000 hectares. That's about 70 square miles. Sorry. 70 square kilometers. There are 190 firefighters, eight helicopters, and 12 pieces of heavy equipment still assigned to that massive fire. And we wish them luck while they are out there fighting it. Not easy in the heat, and we saw more record-breaking heat across the province today. Yvonne Shell is in with more. Yes, Chris, it's a two-day event for us along the south coast. A little more hot day in towards the interior leading in towards Friday. Here's what we did track today. Some unofficial record highs. Lillooet, really the hot spot across the province and the country, getting up to a new record high of 37.4, the old record back in 2002. Linton was up there at 36.8, Pemberton at 36.7, and even Whistler and Squamish getting new record highs closer to 32 degrees. So hot today, and we could see record highs once again for tomorrow. Factor in the Humanex, we've been feeling in to the upper 30s. Abbotsford in the past hour and even Hope have seen those Humidex values sitting at 38 and 39. Port Alberni feeling like 37 and areas near Pitt Meadows with a current Humidex at 36. A few of the hot spots across the province today. Lytton, I'm sorry, Trail getting up to 33 degrees and we saw 37 for Lytton as well. Tofino today was a touch cooler for a few spots closer to the water. We still have had some instability. The area of concern at this hour is for the southern interior. We're seeing a few lightning strikes popping up across the region. Looks to be one more unsettled day for tomorrow. We'll look at that risk of thunderstorms. It'll mostly be for the southern half and extending in towards the southeastern corners of the province. Now, now the hot one for us tomorrow. Keep that in mind. Low 30s with the Humidex. It'll be a hot. It'll be even warmer for many areas. Bit of a reprieve and closer to the average as we approach our Friday, but still another hot one for the next two rather into Friday for the interior regions and then a bit of a reprieve and then rebounding. It'll be hot leading in towards next week. Heat warning still in effect along the north and central coast. The instability tomorrow for the southern half will give that risk of thunderstorms. Most areas along the south coast we may see some fog patches or haze, so a heads up. And then we are going to see a slight chance for an isolated shower, more cloud cover for Friday. Pleasant into the weekend so far, partly cloudy for both days and highs into the low 20s. All right, tonight's weather window, a fantastic shot. Tanya captured this one on the ferry from Nanaimo to Tuasin, a sunset. Chris? That is beautiful. All right, we'll stay on the water for our next story. Thanks very much for that, Yvonne. Theodore Tugboat is about to become Theodore Airbnb. For years, Theodore II called Halifax Harbor home. But now he's going to hang his red, hap, his red cap in Hamilton, Ontario, where he serves as an ambassador for the marine industry on the Great Lakes. Next month, guests will have the opportunity for two exclusive one-night stays aboard Theodore. And once aboard, you'll get a tour of Hamilton Harbor, experience a movie night under the stars on the top deck, and spend the night in cabins decorated to honor Theodore's Atlantic roots. Our Canadians and people traveling to Canada want those unique experiences like the tree houses, like the lakefront experiences, like cabins, like yurts, whatever it may be. Um, so we're excited to have another one in Canada and we're excited that it's Theodore and his smiling face is now going to be seen to a much bigger audience around the world.
Guest booking requests will open August 29th. The cost to stay is only $22 a night, a nod to Theodore II's 22 years in service. Looks pretty cool. All right, uh, let's check in with Squire now, who's here with the look ahead to sports. Yes, uh, well, you hear a lot of praise during the hockey season for Canucks goaltending coach Ian Clark, and rightly so. He's done a lot of great work with Thatcher Demko and others. But the Whitecaps goalkeepers, such as Thomas Assal, have praise for their coach, Yusuf Daha. He's got some, um, some positioning that has helped us a lot. Daha was the man who built Max Crapo into a star, and he's trying to do the same thing with Thomas Assal. All right, look forward to that. Thank you, Squire. Also, it's Whistler's meandering jewel. But some say the river of golden dreams is becoming too popular for its own good. Squire's back with sports. Everybody likes clean sheets, especially goalkeepers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, goalkeepers, and pretty much every human as well likes a nice clean sheet to lay down on at night. Um, Vancouver Whitecaps play at home Saturday against Nashville. Vancouver is currently eighth in the West. Only the top seven teams make the playoffs. But to show you how close things are, the Whitecaps are four points away from fifth place and two points away from 11th place. So there is no social distancing in the West. Uh, Thomas Assault will start the game in goal for Vancouver on Saturday. He's taking the number one job back now that he is over his hand injury. But he's still learning on the job under the same coach who built Max Crapo into a star keeper. Without saving a shot, the goalkeeper may not get recognition from the head coach, but Thomas Hassan knows that his position coach is watching and analyzing his every move. The intensity he brings every day in training, you know, he's pushing us all the time. I know you guys are out here, you guys see him, you hear him. Hearing the boisterous Yusuf Daha is never a problem. And like any good teacher, the goalkeeper coach makes sure his students understand his message. My first language is uh, French, because I'm born in Belgium. And after that, uh, Moroccan, because my originality is Moroccan guy, African guy. And uh, I speak uh, English and a little bit Italian. Communication and positioning are two points of emphasis for Coach Daha, which is different from what veteran keeper Cody Cropper has experienced even going back to his days in the UK at Ipswich, Southampton and MK Dons. It's much more, I want to say, geometrical than a lot of other, a lot of other styles, which if you understand goalkeeping will make sense. Sure. Goalkeeping is all about angles, so it's better to be in good position than running around in circles. And having an acute understanding of the game plan is also essential. The goalie is the second coach. He has to, uh, to know what the coach wants, because when we play, and the, only the goalie can speak and they watch all the, the players in the field. So you have to be uh, very intelligent and very intelligent tactically. This year, the Whitecaps were forced to call upon four different goalkeepers. They all performed admirably considering the circumstances. But Daha's great work goes beyond this season. He played a big part in the development of Max Crippo. Max, he was a player that nobody knew and now is one of the best goalkeepers in the league. And Yusuf basically developed it. The Caps have seven games to go in the season and they'll need the last line of defense to be solid if they hope to make the postseason. I'm not stressed because I know we were good in the practice and we did the homework. When the game is coming, it's like exam. We did uh, work. If we're playing good, we win. It's not a problem. 
All right, Blue Jays are in Boston tonight, Fenway Park. They were down 2 nothing, then they were down 2-1, and then Vladimir Guerrero did this. Not a home run, but it drives in a run. Whit Merrifield will score, and that makes it 2-2, and that's the score in the eighth inning. The Mariners lost 3-1 this afternoon to Washington, but they're all still in a wild card position. The PGA, of course, is fighting with Live Golf, and they're fighting money with money. To stop more of its stars from joining, the Live Tour, the PGA says it's adding $146 million in prize money and bonuses for players next year. And they'll have 13 of what are going to be called elevated events and a list of top 20 players who will be required to play in all of those elevated events. So fans know the biggest names will be there and in turn that'll help TV ratings for the PGA. But if any of the players who quit the PGA to join Live Golf want to come back now, the PGA's boss, Jay Monahan, has a one-word answer for them. No. Why not? They've joined, they've joined the Live Golf Series, um, and they've made that commitment. And I respect their choice, um, but they've made it. We've made ours. We're going to continue to focus on the things that we control and get stronger and stronger. The Women's World Hockey Championship starts tomorrow in Denmark. Canada will play Finland in its opening game. The Canadians have won the Olympics this year. Last year they won the world, so Canada's the favorite. Ten countries. Russia's not allowed in. Canada has made the final every year at the World Championships except once. The Americans have never missed a final. Canada's won gold 11 times, USA 9 times. No other country has ever won gold in this event except for us. Mm -hmm. and the people down south. There you go. Always fun to watch those games. Yep. What a rivalry. Okay, thanks, Squire. Just ahead, why some folks in Whistler are finding it hard to go with the flow on the River of Golden Dreams. Global BC wants to see you at the PNE Fair. Catch all the fun at this end of summer tradition, from attractions and entertainment to food and rides, and the stories that make it all come alive. The PNE Fair, in partnership with Global BC. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up tonight on Global News at 11. Jordan. Chris, tonight an exclusive loved ones of a man and woman killed in a horrible crash on the Surrey-Langley border say they are getting no help from ICBC's no-fault insurance. Witnesses have said the August 6 collision may have been caused by the driver of a pickup running a stop sign. A Surrey couple in their 50s died at the scene after their sedan was hit. Tonight, their loved ones claim the public insurer is trying to deem this a no-fault crash, something they cannot believe. You'll hear from them tonight on Global News at 11. Chris. All right, Jordan, thank you. Now, Whistler residents are concerned about a local tourist attraction. The River of Golden Dreams draws thousands of tourists every year, but hundreds of locals have signed a petition to protect the fragile ecosystem, blaming commercial operations for overuse. However, as Kamal Kuramali reports, those operators say they're the ones caring for it. Canoes, kayaks, and paddle boards. In high demand here at Backroads Whistler Boat Rentals. But the hottest ticket might just be their tour of the River of Golden Dreams. We'll have anywhere between 40 and 100 people going down the river. The winding river connects two lakes west of Whistler Village, providing lots of scenic views. We saw a black bear that was 
foraging in the bushes. But the popularity of the passage appears to be taking a toll. I think our staff are watching and, and the community is watching um, how many people are traveling the river every day. A combination of private commercial tours and the public taking mostly flotation tubes down the river has resulted in traffic along the narrow waterway more than doubling since 2015. A lot of the floaty toys that come down just in their kind of inflatable boats um, raft up and they kind of span the width of the river. It's resulted in an increase in garbage and damaged stream beds detrimental to fish eggs. So now an online petition is calling on stopping the commercial enterprise, which is, quote, the obvious solution and has not even been considered as an option. The petition receiving nearly a thousand signatures by late Wednesday. While some think nothing needs to change. Most of the time we did not see anybody else. Commercial operators believe it's the public use that should be limited and the private tours should continue. I'd say the commercial operators are the stewards of the river and the people that are really kind of stepping up and trying to make sure that it stays the same as, as it always has been. The acting mayor defending commercial tour operators. They see the river every day. They're watching the water levels. The resort municipality of Whistler has earmarked $40,000 to improving the river this year, which could potentially include deepening the waterway. Kamal Karamali, Global News in Whistler. Easy to see why so many people want to do that trip. It's absolutely beautiful out there and hot lately, yeah. too. Here's Yvonne with the last word on weather. Yeah, it's a great place to cool off. You'll need that still for tomorrow. We've got another hot one with temperatures soaring away from the water. We'll be into the low 30s with that humidex feeling closer to 36 degrees. A touch cooler as we get in towards Friday and into the weekend, but still another hot one leading into Friday if you're in the interior. So a heads up. Hot and dry conditions, still the big weather story that we're following. A touch cooler in towards the weekend. And then into next week, it could see that surge once again. But still a few days out. All right. We'll keep it we'll keep it here. We know that you know all the latest. And I've got a vacation planned next week, so I hope a little It'll bit. be good. It'll be good. I know. I trust you. <laughs> thanks very much uh, for putting your trust in us. Have a great night, everybody, and thanks for watching.